As a Papuan Australian woman, I want to start this podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land that I live, work and create on. The podcast, Our Women, Our Stories, is created on tourable land and I pay my respects to their elders, those who have left us, those who are with us today and those emerging elders we are yet to meet. I acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. This has always been and always will be Aboriginal land. listeners thanks for tuning in to part three in this episode previously i asked these ladies how they see both themselves and their communities succeeding in these already established systems and institutions let's get back to where we left off yeah yeah you're right sis it's i see it more and more where um it's not just um that we're contributing to someone else's project we're running things and that's and that's the difference i think um where we're stepping into a place where we run this, we run the show, we run the fashion show, we're running our own industry. We've got our own black music industry, black fashion industry, you know, black health. We've got everything going for us. And um, and we don't have to do it by anyone else's standard or, or their um, model. We do it how we do things, you know. And um, I like that more and more I see it like I see that our mob are really proud to be a part of our black music industry. They don't actually care about getting onto Triple J. They don't care about getting onto whatever. Like I love that I, my, what I have as a songwriter and composer contributes to ceremony. Like that's one of my biggest accolades is that I can give to communities things, something that they've um, been longing for for a long time. So, um, and I don't, I don't even care about making hit records, you know. I enjoy making music because I want to spread um, healing. But I don't um, necessarily have an ambition to be a part of the mainstream, what you were saying. It's, um, and I see it so, so much more. People are just like pulling away from this mainstream ideal of what success is, you know. Um, it's more about if we can um, reach our mob and and promote healing in our communities, then to me that's probably um, the highest um, success rate in any of our industries, but especially the arts. Yeah, yeah. I think as well, like we're seeing more than ever, like this time right now, we've seen what happens when we use these westernized westernized systems you know and more than ever the the world is screaming out climate change we've seen what has happened in such short amount of time when we use these you know unrealistic westernized ideas of how things should work and i think that um with you know where we're at in terms of social media and the internet and how much access we have to you know, so many different things and you can Google anything and you can jump on YouTube and learn anything. I think that the really brilliant side of that is that white followers have had to see them see glimpses of themselves in in the destruction that is now 2021 in whether that's politics and or climate change or, um, you know, racism and um, 
you know, police brutality. I think it's like turning on the TV and, and looking at yourself in, in the mirror a little bit. And I think that over time what we're seeing is that um, those who don't want that and don't like what they're seeing um, are coming over and seeing the value in what we're doing. And, you know, for the first time ever, you know, those bushfires obviously a terrible, terrible time for the country but it was the first time I saw anywhere in mainstream media that people were talking about how blackfellas had been maintaining this country for 60,000 years, you know, it, it, on that, um, on a platform that large and that we had, you know, I, it, I think that it's, it's been really unfortunate with having to see what's happening. But I think now that people are catching on and thinking, all right, well, maybe these mob <laughs> know what they're talking about, you know, they've been doing it forever. So, um, for sure, I think we'll see more of that. I think we're heading in the right direction and I don't think any of us really want to work too much in that mainstream space. I just don't think it works for us. Nah. And um, sometimes what I see is, um, and this is just one, when you're talking about the fires and how pe people started turning towards Indigenous knowledge, knowledge to prevent mm -hmm. those things. Um, when I was back up home, uh, I was probably up there, it was probably about three or four years ago, and um, I called one elder from Cairns. I said, hey, you seen that fire out at the pyramid? And he said, yeah, they're a stupid council. Um, <laughs> you know, they know, um, like we've, we've gone through all this process of um, back burning and the fire, you know, the way that, um, Yidinji mob do the fire in that area but they decided to do it a few weeks earlier because it fit their schedule mm. and they caused a massive bushfire and he said you know the reason why we do it a few weeks later is because we wait for the eggs to hatch from them um, bush turkeys but now all them eggs are burnt so you know that they took that knowledge um, and they fit it into their western schedule and it doesn't work because they don't have that intricate connection with what's going on in that country. And that's the same with our arts. You see, there's a lot of fake art out there and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things that look Aboriginal or get the feel of being Aboriginal. Even um, in music, we see it as well. But um, they, can't, they, they can't have exactly what we have because they don't have the spirit of that song. They don't have the spirit of that story or the spirit of um, being, you know, Aboriginal spirit to um, guide and um, express what we have, what we are, who we are, our connection. Uh, but more and more um, people are starting to recognise it. But, you know, and that's the same with, like, um, in the ecology space where people are trying, you know, we need to save the planet. Yeah, we all know that. But the best way to do that is go to the indigenous mob all over the world because um, that's where the answer is because we've been custodians for this planet for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, but people then exploit that knowledge, like for instance, the backburning, what I just, that story, like taking that knowledge and fitting it into this Western um, schedule or this Western model, it doesn't work. They're two different things because they're not, they don't have that intricate connection to country like we do. And that's all over the world. That's not just here in um, Yirinji or Yalanji or 
any country, it's all over the world. Yeah, I actually remember when I first started, when I found out that I got um, the funding for this project, I was working as a barista and I told one of my regulars, who's a white lady, um, and I told her that I got the funding and she was like, oh, that's so great. You know, I just think that, um, you know, Indigenous fashion designers, you know, they should just give their designs to the mainstream because think of all the money that they'll make. Just think how successful they'll be. Mm. And at the time I didn't know how to respond to her because I just wanted to throw the coffee that I just made her in her face, but I knew that that wouldn't have gone well. Um, and I just went, I just, yeah, I've thought about her a lot during this project. Yeah, and you just answered all the questions about, you know, you're not trying to fit into the mainstream. That's not the goal anymore. Mm. Uh, yeah. I think and that's like something that I try and think of like every you know, some days when the when the days are full, right, and all you do is just focus on work or whatever, but in those moments where I'm reflecting on the week or reflecting on the month and I think, like, does this, what I'm doing right now, still align with my morals and values? Is this something that my family would be okay with me continuing to do? Am I still being guided in that direction that makes me feel good in terms of, like culture does this feel good uh, you know am I am I taking advantage of culture you know that's something I think as creatives as well like is very fine line where you know I and you see it when and it's in those times where you see unfortunately mob selling designs to you know white mob or whatever and you know I think that not that that's bad either because I think that for some black fellas it makes more sense to head in that direction but I, I think it's interesting as well that it's a white woman who had that conversation with you because they'll be the first ones to turn around and say you asked for a handout um mm. when all we're really trying to do is have self-determination you know um mm. and so it's interesting because I mean here's here's three black women who talk about all we want to do is what feels good and is good for culture and, and the well-being and, and for everyone else. It's not just about Ginny or Marley or, you know, Delene. It's about the it's about the collective. It's about everyone else and where do you sit in that and making sure that, um, you know, the last thing I want to do is make anyone upset with what I'm doing. So I think... So long as you your moral compass and um, even just calling my grandmother now and just being like, are you still okay with me to be yarning about these conversations? Like is this, you know, it's important. Yeah, I was saying that because um, my sister's an um, artist, she's a painter and uh, she's always just done, like she's always done her artworks uh, kind of just um, mostly in our community. And she started stepping out a bit and she was really, became really passionate about um, her work and it was the first time in a very long time I'd seen her with that fire and that drive. And I said to her, you know, it's really interesting because I don't know where this is coming from. I'm just so excited. I want to build this for our mob and do this and that. And I said, you know, it's interesting. The minute you start thinking about community and people outside of your 
own little circle, um, that's when uh, that's when you feel that fire and drive. Like how how come you couldn't be that passionate just for your own thing? Because we don't think like that. We're in, all inclusive, you know. And um, when she started thinking about beyond her own artwork and um, creating platforms and pathways for other young and upcoming artists, she um, had this whole another like like a wind in a sail just to to keep going because. Um, because she had now was starting to think about the legacy of her work mm. and, um, and what that means. And I think that that's a huge thing um, in all Indigenous cultures is, is um, legacy. And, and that's what the mob don't understand. If we give away our designs um, to, you know, for instance, the flag, um, and we start selling our designs off like that, you know, um, there's nothing left for our mob, for our the next generation to hold on to and, and the sacredness of um, our designs, the sacredness of our songs, of our language. You know, we can't just keep giving everything away or handing it all out, so to speak. You know, yeah. quick to ask for a handout but then quick to turn around and judge and say we're asking for handouts, which is um, so true, sis. It's true and it, you hear it all the time. What they and I, I um, Marley, I liked how you were saying about when uh, some of them mob were saying it's a bit racist that they can't come and um, join in or that you know black photographers were the ones yeah. only allowed to take photographs, but it's our space. It is. That's right. Um, at the moment, since the whole Black Lives Matter movement, there has been a lot of non-Aboriginal. <laughs> photographers wanting to do cultural style photo shoots because they think by doing that they're like you know they're doing us a big favor like oh yeah let, can I you know do this cultural photo shoot for you but really they're doing it for exposure as they know it's going to get more people to their accounts and by doing that they're also taking business away from black creatives like myself and you know they're painting mob up in styles they know nothing about like for an instance i had a young girl come to me and tell me she did a cultural photo shoot with a white photographer who used acrylic paint on her baby and did a a, a paint style that she had seen on facebook so she doesn't know you know who's you know tribe that comes from what this paint style means it's just so much wrong with it all and the fact that she used acrylic paint on a baby which is dangerous mm. instead of you know ochre because for me when I do my cultural style photo shoots it's very meaningful I learn you know about that mob you know um their country they usually source their own ochre so it's a full process a very spiritual process beforehand and afterwards whereas you know for someone who isn't aboriginal that's they just don't have no connection it's it's very meaningless and they're doing it to profit from our culture and they just when i've um, called other photographers out on it who had you know, prior to this, only photographed white people, they've said, oh, well, that's racist of you. How dare you? You don't own this style. I'm like, well, 
how come you weren't photographing black people before this? Why now? Why are you all of a sudden sudden wanting to, you know, do these cultural style photo shoots? Whereas, you know, I think it's much more meaningful to hire a black photographer to do these kind of shoots or someone that's from your own mob if they are in a position and a photographer because it's just, yeah, a lot of people are out there profiting from Aboriginal culture for the wrong reasons. I think that was such a good point that you made about the flag too, Dillian. Like, you know, I think a lot of people prior or even still, like, I, I think a lot of non-Indigenous people look at the flag, at the Aboriginal flag and think like, oh, my God, it's three colours with a circle in the middle. Like, how does this hold so much importance to you, Mob, right? But then there's such, you know, we, we know that in our history and, and, and where we come from, like, uh, that a lot of people place a lot of pride in that flag, that that stood for so much. And if you were part of the stolen generation and you didn't, you didn't know your own law and your own customs and traditions, here's something that you could wear or show or hang that stood and everyone knew what that meant and how quickly that was taken from us and used against us and weaponized against us. And I think like that's such an important example because, you know, often I have these sorts of conversations with other black businesses about, uh, you know, intellectual property and why I think it's really important um, for us to own our own work at all times, you know, and I, again, I understand that for a lot of people that that's may not be the best decision for them at the time. And Lord knows I've collaborated with non-Indigenous businesses. Um, but for the most part, I think it's such an important conversation because, um, you know, that, that, flag for us meant so much <laughs> like you've seen how upset everyone is about it you know like that we place so much pride and emphasis on this on this symbol of blackness that um you know um, I try and think of all my work like that and even you know if I looked at Marley's picture or I listened to a song by Deline that I'm going to feel that as well that that the pride and um the culture that goes into each one of those projects that for someone else it might represent culture for them and that if we sell our stuff, you know, if we don't create opportunities for our own self-determination, how quickly that can be taken and used against us. And I think um, it's such an important conversation and, and one I think like black creatives we need to be having more often and trying to work with each other and create opportunities for us to be keeping our own works and mm -hmm. and um, reaping whatever benefits come with that for ourselves and that that money goes back into black communities. Yeah, you're right, sis. Like um, one thing, uh, I don't know, uh, Uncle Joe Gaia, he wrote that song, um, You Love, and it's it was like a anthem for that flag when it was first made. He wrote it um, maybe a year after the flag was um, created or released or recognised as a national flag. And um, one thing he says is before we had that flag, we was all different hundreds and hundreds of different mobs, but that flag united us as one mob. And that I think that that's, to me, is what the symbol is, is that despite all of our language differences, despite all of our um, any family differences any clan or tribal wars whatever 
we mm. all come under that one flag and that's that's what um you know united we stand divided we fall that's a spiritual law and that's truth that's why that flag is so important because that's our united front against everything that we have to you know push against for many generations to come um yeah and it was it was really um you know to lose that is um is actually really um uh disempowering for our mom to lose our symbol i think as well like it shows how strong the black dollar is right that they found felt like they needed it that bad that they wanted to make us pay for it. And, you know, that uh, I think it's why it's so important as well for, for black creatives, you know, it, that we, again, own all our own stuff and that, you know, it might seem easy to just, you know, throw throw your little intellectual property here, there and everywhere. But the, the longer term benefits of being able to keep that for that legacy as well, you know, and that is it's for us, by us. Yeah. And, 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 and that, that is the legacy, but it's, it is, it was so sad to see how quickly that something we, that, you know, was created for us and by us quickly is now something that we have to pay to use. Mm. Sad. Very, very. I was just thinking, um, Jenny, about what you were saying about you sort of making a recommendation to those emerging artists to think about their legacy. Um, as established and successful artists, for the emerging artists that might be listening to this podcast, what, I guess, what advice or recommendations can you give them in their work and at the time of life that they're in at the moment? Yeah, I think um, for me, you know, I have a little board up here that has my little affirmations that every day that I go to work that I try and just, you know, keeps me accountable. Um, I just think it's really important, again, for me, like it's where where is my moral compass sitting at all times, you know, like, and again, um, I think it's easy to like paint and then be like, this is my work. And, you know, I try and think of everything that I do now, not as my own, not as just my own. Um, and, you know, it's my grandmother's, it's my mum's, it's my great grandmother's. It's, you know, I, I try and think of my work as an extension of them and what I think they're worth. I try and see it from a different perspective. Um, so if I feel good in the decisions that I make after doing all those little checkpoints, then I feel like I can go to sleep at night and I feel like I can um, feel good about the work that I'm doing. Again, you know, I think it's important as well to be thinking about, you know, the next, what's next. Um, and we've always, as Blackfellas, we've always lived like that. It's never been about now. It's been about tomorrow and the kids, you know. So I think that um, I try to just have these little checkpoints. So if I feel good about, you know, how much would my grandmother be worth in terms of if this was her work? And that's the only price that I will settle for. Anything less is not good enough, right? Um as well, like, you know, I want to make sure that I feel comfortable in who I am and where I stand. And if if that doesn't feel good, then, you know, 
I will move in a different direction. I think we're seeing right now black culture is trending and maybe not all year round, but at certain points of the year at NADOC and the, the one, you know, three to four days that lead up to NADOC, even though this mob know exactly when it is every year. Um, and, you know, survival day or invasion day, um, that there are peaks and, 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 and troughs of when we're trending. And I think that um, it's very easy to move in that direction because that's, you know, where we want to also embrace what success looks like for white mob. But I think for me, just like making sure that um, everything that I do is, is I'm hitting all those checkpoints and that also I'm not letting these outside influences dictate what I produce or how I work or on their timelines or, you know, on their budget or whatever. Um, I, you know, that's part of my legacy and my legacy for my nieces and my nephews is that they know that their worth and where it all comes from and um, anything less than that is not, not worth it for me. And I think ensuring that I'm still proud of who I am and where I come from and that that is the cornerstone of where I work from. That's the pillar. But, yeah, I think that is the biggest thing is, is that legacy um, and what's next. And am I helping or hindering that? And there's so many people that you can yarn to in those spaces, you know, like all the time. And even if I can't get that from, you know, my sister, or, you know, some of my sisters who don't work in this space or my grandmother who, who you know, doesn't work in this space. And I, we've been so lucky as well. Um, there's a group of really deadly black followers who are currently working in this space and we're all connected. We're all having these conversations. If I can't get it from, you know, my sister or whatever, I'll, I'll yarn with Jane at Earth Jinder because, you know, she understands and, you know, there's that connectedness um, and, and just constantly checking in and making sure that everything still feels good and that we're not being exploited. For myself personally, I think it is important for us as black followers to be able to tell our own stories. I think um, since the Black Lives Matter movement, there's been a big misunderstanding of, um, you know, elevating our voices but not telling our stories for us. So a lot of people have kind of jumped in this space like, oh, wow, yeah, we really need to get black faces out there, whereas, you know, they're kind of silencing us and... And putting us in the background and you know still taking away that that message that we need to be heard so i think um for me being able to tell our own stories and um for me through photography is incredibly important and my legacy is is my my work i let my work speak for myself and um Starting my business, it was quite terrifying just seeing that, you know, there's a lot of white males in the industry and, you know, getting over that anxiety that, okay, yeah, this is a male, white male-dominated industry, but, you know, I deserve this space too. My work deserves to be seen and out there and my, my people deserve, you know, to feel safe when, you know, having a photographer because I've, I've heard stories that, you know, of mob hiring photographers, they just had no cultural understandings. So for me, 
yeah, just having that and opening up these opportunities for emerging photographers, you know, if they can see that I've done it, I've literally come from, you know, being homeless five years ago to having a family and a successful business. So if they can see my story and how I've um, been able to make it through all the obstacles, then they can do the same thing and, you know, how important it is to have mob in these spaces, mob photographing mob. And I want to be an inspiration for my children too. Growing up, um, you know, there wasn't many role models around. Um, I just, I want to be a role model and to my, hey, this is my story. <laughs> He's got a lot to say. Um, you know, back home that there is light at the end of the tunnel and living in a remote community there is more to that you can get through it and just getting the feedback from my my family and friends that live back home you know that seeing me be able to start my own business from nothing that they, they can do the same thing yeah it's about that representation hey like, yeah yeah and you're you're being that um that matriarch for the next gen as well yeah, yeah, and I want my boys to see that they can do anything, you know, they put their hearts to. I was told by many of people, like, you're not going to make any money from photography. You know, there is a lot of competition out there. This is such a stupid idea, like, get a real job. So I want them to know that, you know, there is money to be made in the arts. And, you know, it's, it's not always about money. Do what you love. It just makes it so much more enjoyable. If I, you know, I couldn't do it if I didn't feel so passionate about photography. Yeah, and I feel like um, like just with the three of you, you don't value the dollar. Like you don't value the money that you're going to make because of this um, this wider change that is already being made for the community as well. Um, and I think that's when I speak to some emerging artists, you know, they at first they're like, you know, I'm worried that I'm not going to make money, but then we keep talking and then we realise how much change that they've actually made and your passion also contributes to your success as well. Like because you're so passionate about your work, you're going to put in that extra time and you're going to put in that extra effort um, and people will see that and recognise that as well. Join us as we continue this conversation in part four, which is the final part in this episode with Auntie Delene, Marley and Ginny. I'll see you there.